Hey, I'm Tiffany Weiss, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. The Warren Brothers. Brad and Brett Warren were born in Tampa, Florida. Both showed interest in music at an early age. The duo started out as recording artists and moved to Nashville in the mid-90s. From there, they signed a record deal with RCA Records. Today, they are a songwriting duo who has written songs for artists such as Tim McGraw, Martina McBride, Keith Urban, Toby Keith, and Faith Hill. I've seen them live, so I knew their dynamic. I knew they were really fun, outgoing, energetic guys and that matches my personality pretty well in the sense of upbeat and blunt and loud and just kind of no limits is kind of how I described the Warren brothers and I love that so I was really excited and when I saw them live I don't even remember how long ago but it was at the listening room cafe which is in Nashville Tennessee downtown I basically reached out to my team and I said, I want to interview the Warren Brothers. They agreed and I was very excited about this. And the Warren Brothers came to my house, which I thought was really awesome. They were exactly as I imagined them to be. Fun, humble, kind, energetic, and and comfortable in their own skin. Very just, I don't know, bare bones. Just there and doesn't hold back. And I was also very excited to meet them because there were so many questions that I had for them that were harder questions. Least favorite song you've written that's been cut? That's been cut or it's been a hit? Let's go with hits. Okay. Let's go with hits. That's more fun for oh, everybody. Oh, I, got song. I got it. I got it. Oh, yeah. Least favorite. By the way, this is going to get us in a little bit of trouble. That's, that's okay. It's already a hit. I don't care. What's it matter? Uh, yeah. Uh, and you wrote it. <laughs> I know, but the, the artist is going to be pissed when they see this. But oh. This will be a, Okay, you ready? It's already a hit. <laughs> <laughs> we already all know. Okay. Wow, you're right. Feel that fire. <laughs> Sorry, Dirk. So now Dirk's is going to be mad at that. <laughs> That's our first number one. I, oh, I should love it. Uh, yeah. But so it's, it's, it's my least favorite hit that we have. Was it because it was the first? I mean, it's were okay. you? No, no, it's just. I'll say this. We had hits before that that weren't number ones. Okay. And they were some impact records, like Anyway for Martina McBride. Mm-hmm. It only went to number four. And if you're reading this for Tim McGraw, it went to number three. And we just were sure we were never getting a number one. And those are both impact records. And we wrote a cute little rock song with Dirks, and it went to number one. I'm like, why are we trying so hard? <laughs> you know, it's more of that emotion. Not, no, I get I, it. I really like that song. I just knew that's what he was going to say. That's what he knew, I would say. I Yeah. Now, I know this is kind of breaking the rules, but what what's yours? What's your least favorite? Hit? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that one. I don't know. Depends. 
I like them all. I, it's like it's like saying which one of your children do you think's the ugliest? I mean, it's a kind of a difficult question. There is an answer though, usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, come on. They usually look the most like me. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. If feel that fires on at the ballpark, you know, I, I still will. Absolutely. Hey, I wrote this song. Well, I'm not, well, I'm ashamed you? of it. I like right. it. It's, yeah. We play it live. We played it the other night. We pl- we recorded a live record in Sundance, Utah. Like just the acoustic record, just the two of us. And we played it. And it was actually one of my favorite songs of the entire night. It kind of slayed. But it, was, it, it doesn't mean we don't like it. We don't have a million hits. Right. So it's just, it's a small you group of You have like, a good amount. It's okay. It's like, yeah. But I mean, it's not like we picked one song out of 200 to say we hated that. We picked one song out of like 15. Right. Which is a lot different than saying. All right. Sorry, Dirks. I actually love this song. <laughs> Just my least favorite. It's funny. We tell this story. My mom, who was sweet and Christian, and she wouldn't say shit if she had a mouthful of it, but mm. she is uh, negative. And so she used to always tell us, you're never going to make any money playing basketball. And the truth is, we became friends with Tim McGraw by mm-hmm. playing basketball. And we've definitely made a lot of money from that friendship. So there are truths on the way to the thing that's never going to... Like, so she was being realistic. We knew we weren't going to play in the NBA, but she was just telling us we were wasting our time. God has a funny way making things work, huh? It's a funny funny story. That's actually Knowing how to pick and roll got us a lot of Tim McGraw cuts. And and as (laughs) as, uh, recovering alcoholics, we always say we have to stop trying to act like we know what just happened. Yeah. Hey, that's actually really funny, though. Like, God's like, yeah, you might not play in the NBA, but playing basketball is also going to pay the bills. Going to pay the bills for, <laughs> for sure. Very interesting. Okay, well, that was fun. You guys caught 50% right. know each other. Yeah, we do. Right. You know, that's all right. That's not bad. <laughs> so you guys are obviously an incredible songwriting duo. Why music? What happened for both of you to decide this was going to be your future? Ignorance. Bliss. <laughs> I mean, realistically, my parents made us practice music instruments when we were young and it was like like a chore and my sister was an unbelievable piano player my other sister could play the piano and sing and brad started on the trumpet i was on the trombone and so music was a part of our life my mom and dad sang together in church our church had music we played the drums but then brad heard van halen had started a band and then they needed a drummer and i really didn't want to do it i'd played drums in church but i'm two and a half years younger so i'm 13 years old and there's 16 year old girls coming to watch their practice. So I was like, literally just wanted to be in the band so I could hang out with, you know, older girls Mm. and be part of the older group. Literally it was that simple. It's like, there's nothing else to do. And since I was before him and older, when I was 11, we went to this almost cult-like, almost snake handling type charismatic church Mm -hmm. where we didn't know anyone that didn't go to the church Mm -hmm. school. And we wound up at some people's house one night and the teenage kid there had an electric guitar with an amp and he could play sweet home alabama and we i was already playing trumpet like brett said it was music was not fun our parents made us yeah, do it and we were, we were actually really good oh, yeah interesting. and we were Trump good like not fun oh both I mean, of those are actually not, interesting choices how do you ever know you're on the right note i'm not sure i wasn't <laughs> yeah we weren't much unless you have perfect pitch anyway i heard the air between that amp and my ears with distortion and a kid playing it and i was like i am doing that and i was obsessed obsessed with music from that i started playing guitar uh immediately my dad said you could play but you have to start on the he's called it a box guitar <laughs> yeah start on the box guitar buddy flat top buddy flat top so i had to start on the acoustic but man i was all rock and roll leonard skinner van halen anything with electric guitar so i did drag brett into the business i started a band when i was probably 12 or 13 so you were 10 or 11 you started a band at 12 or 13 where would you I mean, play 
we played once or twice a year at like the school had a rockathon where the cheerleaders rocked in chairs. And people I, think I was like 13 or 14. And then we played a My talent show. Maybe, maybe you were 13 and I was 15. Did you win the talent show? We played at a thing in the gym. I don't gym. think so. We lost to the No, no, we lost to the cheerleaders. Yeah. Wait. So, oh, and wait, we they killed... entered the, the talent show as cheerleaders? Oh, yeah, yeah. They did some kind of lame routine. Okay. No, yeah, we totally. Failed. I mean, I was a cheerleader, but that's certainly not what I'm going to bring to the talent show. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, it was, by the way, that they hated us. Our, we had long hair. We were, and... we were the rebels without a clue and a cause. But uh, it was early. I think I think it was more like 13 or 14 when there was a band going on. And then, yeah, Brett. But could he could do everything, but he didn't really care. So he said, "Just play the drums and sing." Here's okay, what sing and play. Yeah. yeah, we saw Night Ranger, and the guy had like a headset mic on and played the drums, and <laughs> I did that. Which was, we got our dads like our dad was a pilot. It looked like I was flying a seven forty seven. It wasn't made for like bands. It literally was like <laughs> Bob Costas in the eighties, you know, calling a game headset while I was singing. It was pretty funny. My dad was super strict. We didn't have a television oh. growing up oh. until. I think I was like Seriously. 18 when we got our first television. I'm the youngest of four. So we had to practice a musical instrument for a half hour, uh, read the Bible for a half hour. We had no television. And my dad got us up every morning, all four of us, before school. And we ran three miles, unless it was thunderstorming. So As we, a family in homemade sweatpants that my mom made where the stripes didn't match or go. So I was in the first grade. Yeah, he joggers, was in the third like grade. Homemade joggers. homemade joggers. Homemade joggers. The only thing more embarrassing than running past your friend's house with your family at 6 a.m. Were you all matched while you ran? No, no, the they, the legs didn't even match, but they were all homemade by Barbara, and so embarrassing. I ran in earth shoes. My dad, I said, "Can I get a pair of real jogging shoes?" And my dad said, "If you run ten miles without stopping, I'll know you're serious about it, and I'll buy you a pair of jogging shoes." So I ran ten miles in earth shoes while he rode behind me on a ten speed. True, and I was in the third grade. That was my first pair of real tennis shoes. Okay. We also raised rabbits and chickens in a suburb of Tampa, Florida, a little area that is now a ghetto but it was not then it was uh -huh. just a nice little neighborhood and we raised like 30 rabbits at a time and we would take a bunny to show and tell at school and eat it the next week i'm sorry what we okay i had bunnies too but they the were definitely week. my pet no no we no, had these weren't pets we could show them but then we had to like at nine ten years old we were holding rabbits up by their back legs and hitting them with a hammer to to kill them and then we'd eat them after taking them to show and tell and naming them did did you did you tell our next door neighbors owned a clothing store in the mall and they were from Miami. <laughs> and they looked over the fence at us like, and they for some they reason they ritual. still love my, my mom they love my mom and dad. And they're the greatest of friends, but they were like they couldn't have been more different. And to hear them tell the stories makes us laugh so hard we're crying. My our old neighbor Aaron, he's my age. He's a lawyer now, interestingly enough. And to hear him tell the stories of from their side of the fence looking at our side of the fence is he said they would walk. He would walk it's through our done. garage and see the card table where we did the slaughtering of the rabbits, and there would be blood stains on it. And he got <laughs> the other way. And our dad would yell at them like, "Boy, hit it hard! Don't torture it!" And I'm like, "How are you worried about the well-being of this animal? You're making me bludgeon to death." You know, it's a little weird. I mean, now you're making me think of my two rabbits, which were Honey and Cutie, growing up, and I'm getting real. Uh, oh, but they were tasty, Honey. Oh, well, we, <laughs> we didn't eat them. That's for sure. When you guys made the move to Nashville, when was that? And you guys do it together. Yeah. Yep. 1995, August the 5th. And you know the exact date. We moved here so that we wouldn't have to get day jobs because we were going to write together. And so trying to work jobs against each other's schedule, we wouldn't have time to write or play. And it would, it would just be weird. So we drove home to Tampa every month for 10 days right. and we would play 
12 gigs in 10 days, happy hours, everything we could to make enough money to pay our rent. And then we would drive back to Nashville and live here with no job. And about a year into living here, we got a house gig at the Courtyard Cafe in Antioch. And that was a bigger deal to us than getting our record deal. Wow. Because we didn't have to drive home to Tampa. It was time. amazing. It was huge. I mean, we would literally drive home, play 10 days straight, drive back. We've woken up on the side of I-75 with both of us snoring. Oh, trucks going by and the cars and drive. We're just like sleeping. I mean, we were exhausted, but we would go down there, save enough money, wow. come back, work. So we knew we had the house gig and we didn't have to drive to Florida 12 and a half hours twice a month. Oh, it was so awesome. Did you test out your songs in Tampa? Like when you would do your little like gigs? A little bit, but more. Mm -hmm. We were playing here when we were here. We just weren't making any money here because everyone said, you're never going to make money playing covers in Nashville. Not true. We did wind up making money. I mean, isn't that what Broadway is? Yeah, it is now. But <laughs> back in the day, it was all like. Original? Well, it seemed like that. I don't know. We, Broadway we, was like, you couldn't pay 20 people to go down to yeah, bad way on a Saturday night. I, I mean, feel like nobody went down there. I feel like you can't pay me that now. Well, that's for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> this is because there was nobody. But at the courtyard, we had this female drummer, we had a percussion player, and this fat bass player playing fretless bass, and we played Van Morrison and Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Mellencamp and the Stones and Springsteen. It was kind of this earthy rock and roll thing that kind of worked in Nashville, but wasn't country. We kind of developed a following here where people came to see us all the time. And then we would play this place called the Bunganut Pig. There was one in Murfreesboro. Bunganut Pig on Wednesday night in Murfreesboro. Bunganut Pig in Franklin on Thursday in the courtyard on Friday and Saturdays. And we were making money and it was easy and it was fun. And we were developing a following and we started playing our original songs for the first set. And you While didn't have was, a label at that no, point. No, far no. No, but we were paying our bills and making more money we'd ever made. When you say we made money, I mean, it still was terrible money, but compared to what we were making sure. before, it was- No, it was like- More than just to pay your rent. Yeah. More than rent. You could oh, also go get chips and salsa town. somewhere as hey, well. We only got to eat out. Okay, nice. Yeah. Casa Fiesta was, we yeah. wore it out down there in Antioch. It was good. So when we, when we started playing our original songs, it was like we would do the first set of originals. And then as everybody got done with dinner and started getting drunker, we'd break into Brown Eyed Girl, of course. But then Joe Galani- came out to see us at the Bungin' Up Pig in Murfreesboro really? with Renee Bell on a Wednesday night. And we had made a Those CD. are both record people, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Joe I would have broken in there somewhere. You know, and I would have <laughs> Joe Galante, Google him. And so he comes to there on a Wednesday night to see us. And we played all these originals. We had made a CD and sold them. We'd sold like 400 CDs to the same 100 people. But they all sang along to our originals with our band. And Joe Galani and Renee Bell watched the set. And then they got back in their limo and headed back to Nashville. And we broke into Brown Eyed Girl that night. And the next morning, we found out he offered us a record deal. And that's how you got your first that's record it. deal. That's it. Amazing. The whole 10,000 hours and playing a bunch of bar bands and gigs, whatever, that is the school that we come from because we played a lot of gigs. But ours is probably 20,000 20, 20, hours. hours. Since there's two of us, it's 40. Yeah. Because it all starts with this song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine Is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woods and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. 
Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woise in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woise and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours.